Progressive brings you Flowetry with Flow. A tool called Name Your Price. Get a grip on your spending like an industrial vice. It's nice. Beats rolling the dice. I prefer brown rice. Don't carry dumbbells when you walk on thin ice. Splash. Get insurance based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to episode five of Stolen Signs from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Kendall Gilmet, alongside Harry Pavlidis of Baseball Prospectus. Hello, Harry. Hello, Kendall. We are going to talk about sabermetrics today. The broad, wide field of sabermetrics. And I think we are going to go through a little bit of history and talk about some of the different um, aspects of sabermetrics. Yeah, there's basically this was spurned by a reader email. So right now people have emailed us with a question or two for two. That's right. And getting that question answered, that's a pretty good rate. So if you're interested, uh, <laughs> email stolen yeah. underscore signs at baseballperspectus.com. Uh, and uh, it's very likely that if you send in a question, we will read it and try and answer it. So, right. Our, you know, I can't say 100 percent, but so far. Uh, so, the, the, you know, it turned into a longer answer, though. It was it was started with what about recent stuff? But, right. Uh, and then, I, you know, I kind of went overboard. In, in assembling the list. Harry did That's a lot of show prep. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess you could call it that. <laughs> I would definitely call it that. So, okay. um, yeah. So again, uh, email us stolen underscore signs at baseball com or uh, reach out on Twitter at stolen underscore signs with questions or comments or feedback. And then also rate review us on iTunes and um, this kind of mate show like, how much of a rookie I am with podcasting or maybe how much of an Apple fanboy I am. Um, apparently there's something called the Google play store, um, <laughs> which I, I mean, I kind of knew about, um, but I didn't realize that you have to kind of submit something there different than iTunes for uh, Android folks on a podcast application or something like that. So um, I'll figure oh. out how to do that. I'm an Android user. I didn't even know that. So oh. I don't really listen to podcasts off my phone because i don't i don't commute there you go so, so anyway i will um i'll try and figure that out and probably post a little update on twitter for android folks yeah rate us there if applicable <laughs> yeah yeah if if you can rate someone on the google play store we would love and appreciate that as well yes. and we also have put together um a little relief effort i guess for the folks affected by hurricane harvey um we created a little thing with the american red cross um and so if people want to support that um or kind of join us in supporting that i guess um you can um we will i'll link that up on the podcast page at baseball prospectus and also um I don't know, tweet about it or something. Um, but we'll definitely include a link to that. But, um, if, if you want to help support that, that would be awesome. Um, I know that there are many, many people affected by this and it's, it's kind of, it, it breaks my heart to kind of see all this stuff that's going on and, and how crazy it is and, and just see different reports. So do you know a lot of people in Houston, Harry? Yeah. You know, there are definitely friends who, we, from baseball perspectives, who yeah. are there now, and everybody seems safe and sound from the circle of people I know. But I definitely also saw a few people who I happen to follow on Twitter and pictures of them being rescued in in boats by neighbors. So it, it's been quite a quite a thing to take in. Yeah, uh, particularly you know heartened by the 
number of people helping just helping people it's like yeah. mr rogers said look for the helpers you know it's yeah totally it's the, it's the darn truth seeing seeing people's humanity is is uh very refreshing in this day and age so um thanks to everybody who's down there helping out and um for the for those of us who aren't down there and want to contribute um find a way to contribute even if it's not uh, alongside us but find find some way to to reach out and help some folks Absolutely. So with that, um, we're going to jump into our listener question, which Harry mentioned. Um, we got from Anthony. And um, so Anthony was the second person to email us. And um, so I'll go and, and read a little, little bit of his email. Um, he talks about um, kind of getting into, uh, oh, maybe I'll just read it. Hi, guys. As a lifelong baseball fan and someone who works in analytics consulting, I've often considered more fully embracing sabermetrics as a means to both indulge my love of the game and sharpen my skills. Uh, He talks about how he's followed along statistics and things that have come about and seen the recent advancements like stat cast, catcher framing, pitch tunnels. Um, But he the kind of the the question is... um, if you wanted to become an amateur baseball analyst, want a firm grounding in some of the noteworthy advancements over the last decade. Um, so he asks, what would we single out as key findings um, in sabermetrics and analytics of the last decade? So, uh, and then he says very kindly, thank you guys. I've absolutely loved the podcast and eagerly listen to each episode. Thank you, Anthony. And uh, we appreciate your question. I was like, make sure you read the last part. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the good part. <laughs> a question, question, then the blast. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody who sends an email that gives us, you know, heaps of praise, we'll, we'll definitely uh, take the heaps of praise and most likely answer the email on the show. So. Yes. <laughs> so. So, um, like Harry said, we are. Um, Harry and I were talking about this, and it kind of. We're like, okay, well, there's this and this, but then it kind of everything kind of kept going back and touching on different things from you know previous um, kind of previous wa- decades, previous yeah. decades, and previous waves of of advancements, and so um, we kind of saw this as an opportunity to dig a little deeper and and go back a little bit further to discuss kind of sabermetrics as a as a, I don't know, area of study or um, just kind of as a thing and where it's come from. And then um, I think we'll, as we kind of go through it, we'll talk about uh, what Anthony was actually asking, which was maybe, you know, some of the more recent things that have been. Yeah, we will actually answer the question. (laughs) Yeah. But but there's a prelude. There's a prelude. We've got to stand on. Just a hundred years. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. We've got to stand on some shoulders first. So, yes. Um, so Harry, I'm going to, like I said, you did some of the, uh, you did some of the, you did all the show prep. So, um, maybe if you can, uh, take us back a little bit in some of the stuff you found. Well, we're, we can start at the beginning and go from there. Seems like a logical choice. Okay. Well, I, I started, um, I, I, the first thing that always come, comes to mind when we say recent developments, it, it's always like, well, stat cast and, and there's all these outfield metrics and catch metrics right. and defense. And, but it's like, you know, what's funny is people wrote papers about that, you know, a hundred years ago that you should use time and distance, you know, basically hang time with the ball and how much time, you know, how far can a guy run in three seconds and things like that as standards. So actually the first thing I did was I actually went back to, uh, find these papers. So, I went back to 1910, apparently. So I'm not going to claim to have read all these things or many, but when thinking about and reading about the question of what are kind of some of the important milestones and markers in baseball analysis and technology, these were the things that these are the things that kind of stuck out as being noteworthy and kind of the places where as as kendall noted you know everything gets built upon the past so going back to that 
range paper. It was by a guy named Hugh Fullerton in the inside game, the science of baseball. And we're going to link as many of these things as we have as well on the podcast page. So you can find actual PDFs of this old document. And it's got great diagrams of basically defensive positioning and range by time. And it was just fascinating that, that the questions and techniques and basic structure of what we want to answer all the way now today with all these super fancy technologies, the basic question started at, you know, it, early in the 20th century at the latest, you know, it's probably, probably existed in someone's mind. Right. Uh, finally got written down by this Fullerton guy. So that, that was a pretty, you know, significant one. Uh, I, I think in terms of this time, not much changes over time. Yeah. The graphics in this are amazing. This yeah. is super interesting to kind of see like fielder positioning and, um, and how that affects different things. It's, it's really cool. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's well done. And even though it was done over a hundred years ago, so not too terribly long after that, there was something called baseball magazine and the editor and one of the writers for that was FC lane. Uh, he, he edited baseball magazine through 1937. And after that went on to the little red book of major league baseball through 1948. And he published something called batting, uh, in 1928, I believe. And what that was about, uh, we may need to go deeper into batter quality than just batting average, what I think was the fundamental premise of that, which is kind of, I think we're almost past that. <laughs> <laughs> just maybe another 90 more years. Yeah, it, it didn't take that long. That, that really, that really caught on, didn't it? <laughs> it's really... It's well ahead of his time. Uh, so that that was kind of, uh, you know, uh, I thought that was a little amusing, obviously, that it's like, hey, folks, batting average isn't everything. It's like, well, we haven't really broken that, that have we? So moving a little further ahead in time, uh, something that becomes really more relevant in the present time was when uh, Lou Boudreau, the, the famous curmudgeon manager uh, decided to shift his infield against Ted Williams. So that was the Williams shift. And there were probably shifts and things in that ilk before, but that's really the earliest, if not the earliest time it's written about as being a, a uh, baseball strategy uh, of swinging your infield over. So uh, that, and that, one, that's a, that one really, if I recall correctly, that really affected um ted williams like that it was like it was an, a very effective technique it wasn't just like oh let's try this but it really kind of messed with them do, do you recall that i don't know i thought that his kind of attitude is i'll just hit it over you um I don't know if they stuck with it. i think they stopped doing it but yeah i think it may have like perplexed them at some point but i don't know i don't ever remember ted williams having yeah, Did, didn't struggle too much. Yeah, I don't think it really necessarily, you know, made that big of a difference because he was hitting extra base hits. So you know, maybe maybe he took away the occasional single, but I don't know. But you know, didn't there isn't there an argument still today about shifting and how effective it is? And right, you know, it's, it's, is it an optimal strategy still, yeah. etc.? Right. Yeah, you know, that seems to be unanswered for some reason, even though, but the kind of the answer is teams are doing it. So it must, it's kind of rational. Okay. In, in 1946, when that happened, uh -huh. um, Ted Williams, he slashed, uh, 342, 497, 667, which gives him an OPS of 1164. Yeah. Pretty good. And then an OPS plus of 215. Also pretty good. So I mean, but how widespread was the shifting against so that's it? Is it just the Indians or was right. it something, you know, right. Uh, uh, maybe it caught on, but anyways, that seems to be a, anyway, a noteworthy uh, point, which we'll come back to, I think in about 70 years here on the list, uh, the following year, one of the, I, I like to say that it's branch Ricky's world and we're still living in it. Uh, if you think about the major influences he's had on baseball, terms of scouting departments and whatnot. And, uh, being crappy to labor <laughs> um, really established the ways of the game. But he hired a, a gentleman named Alan Roth in 1947. 
And I, I felt like uh, Roth was doing much of the, the, the statistical work and, and stuff that possibly people like Lane had established 20 years earlier. So so Roth's job and hiring, his hiring by Ricky kind of gives Ricky this father of sabermetrics moniker uh, in some quarters. So that's probably not fair to give him that name, but he's definitely one of the early adopters of, of having – someone analyze baseball, not just look at, you know, the basic stats that you pull out of the box score uh, very simply and go deeper. So that, that's kind of the, the, you know, when they're, you know, we're now we're into the point where, you know, Boudreaux shifting, which is like, okay, I mean, he's hitting the ball that way. Let's move. Uh, but you know, what Ricky's doing right thereafter is hiring someone to like do things from a more of a statistical point of view. So then I think that's, that's a pretty, major advancement and obviously took the rest of baseball about 60 years some teams maybe 40 years to catch up i think la Russa had a computer when he was with the lights on but then uh see then now we got i want to talk about some books and writers okay. so at this point you know the, the world this is you know this notion that the saber metric uh you know boom of the of the 2000s 2010 era is you know the first wave of outsiders you know, type of thing, which is not true. You know, I guess we can say, you know, Roth was probably the first outsider to come into baseball operations from that, you know, from that perspective. But then we started having a lot of people writing and having a big influence. And one of the things that came up in my research, and, and I recall seeing this before, was George Lindsay's work in a journal called Operations Research, 1963, an investigation of the strategies of baseball. And that's when the first published time somebody basically using run values and I'm not sure what, what, what he termed it to be honest. Uh, but there's, that, that's like one of the earliest places where you, you, you know, basically laid the groundwork for what came 20 years later. Well, really 10 years later, I think in the seventies, but published in 1984 in the hidden game of baseball. And that was John Thorne, who you may know as a historian of base major league baseball and Pete Palmer, who is really one of the leading, you know, original, "Quote unquote sabermetricians." Uh, so th that's where linear weights came about, where you know you had a calculated value of how much it would work at a single and a double, and and you know suddenly giving us a much more complete picture than just hits and you know total bases, and actually getting things on the on a um, numeric scale that was more reflective of how run scoring yeah, actually yeah. played out. I was going to say this is kind of the um, begins to be the basis of some of the you know ongoing work from there on. Like all the oh, other yeah. all the other things seem like they're kind of almost prehistory. You know, like they're they're important and they matter maybe more than I understand for sure. But um, it seems like give, getting run values, getting some of these. Um, I don't know, codified elements where, where people can kind of take that and build upon that. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like that's kind of the time where that's starting. Does that seem? I agree. Yeah. yeah. But that's what it seems to, to me looking back at these things. And, you know, like, you know, by that time, you know, people were playing tabletop games. Like I was playing Stratomatic baseball as a kid at that, right. by that time. Right. But I didn't know anything about this stuff. But so I'm sure there was the thinking and the work was reflected earlier in that. So I think it was just, but these are the first like, you know, major published works where people you know, put together what they maybe been doing for 10 or 20 years. Uh, and, you know, so I, I, I think you're right. I mean, basically from probably from what Lindsay was doing. So you, there's probably somebody who's doing something in the 1950s that, you know, I haven't found or we don't know about, right. uh, you know, so, but yeah, once we had that, once, you know, once hidden game came out, I think that was probably boom, you know, suddenly a lot of people had access to ways to measure baseball. Um, Bill James abstract first one, 1985. So <laughs> I've heard of suddenly him. ways of asking questions and like challenging assumptions and whatnot. Yep. That came about as the true pursuit, you know, of like, okay, we're going to try to understand baseball and we're just going to ask every question. And, and that was, so you had enough tools and you had enough questioning and you had a writer good enough to make an audience for it as well. Obviously Palmer and Thorne did too. They influenced a lot of people. So right there, you know, in the mid eighties, I think you're hitting like that, you know, 
next generation, third generation, first generation is like Fullerton and Lane. Then it's like Roth and, and then Lindsay probably then, but then it's like the, the Palmer James, like that's the kind of a triggering point. And like you said, uh, like with La Russa, um, yeah, that would have been around that time too, right? So when people started to be able to have like a personal computer or a business computer. Yep. So ain't no coincidence there, is it? Yeah. I don't know if James used computers, but still, at least these people who were producing these numbers did. Right. They, you know, they ran the calculations. Yeah. So, you know, something I think is noteworthy, mostly just we'll point back to it later. Uh, 1988 major league baseball started to track pitches pitch by pitch. So you get the pitch count in box score, but you also have play by play records for virtually every game, every pitch from that year on. There's some pitch by pitch records before that, but basically 1988 is the start of the pitch by pitch era. And, and with that, um, what kind of data was tracked? Is it uh, location, uh, velocity? No, just ball strike. Just ball strike. Okay. Yeah, ball wow. strike, foul, you know, whatever. What what the actual, you know, just the most basic meta information about the pitch. No velocity, movement, location. Just was it a ball? Was it a swinging strike? Was it a called strike? That's, Sometimes you don't even know which of those two it was um, <clears throat> in the older years when there is limited spotty data. But that seems hard to know what sets of outcomes were. Yeah, that seems yeah. so late to me. In terms of like tracking pitch by pitch, yeah, it data. does, doesn't like, it? Yeah, I was, you know, but you, like I said, you could find it spotty, you know, back, but 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 1988 was like when it became MLB. Got we it. were collecting this data and we're, and you'll have it. Wow, and what that was right. was or was not publicly available to your knowledge. It was publicly available okay. as uh, as far as I know, because RetroSheet has you know all these things. Okay. So you probably had like you know in a really good newspaper or Sporting News, Baseball Weekly type of things probably had some pitch by pitch accounts not that's a good question at least the database existed so of some form right. box of file cards yeah <laughs> <laughs> as you do or did whatever it was back in the day uh okay so you know fast forwarding a good solid decade all of a sudden now we're starting to feel like closer times sort of at least for me right uh, but 1999 is when Voros and started talking about defensive independent pitching dips theory on I think like Usenet boards. <laughs> so so we had all this math, we had all these computers, and now we have radical ideas being expressed on the internet. So uh most baseball analysts were radicalized on on Usenet apparently in those days. Right. And that's that's like um four or five years after like the you know what we would think of as, you know, the World Wide Web and yeah, so mm-hmm. in nineteen ninety nine like, let's see, I was already working professionally as a developer. So like that's, I, I was at a company working on the Y2K bug. Yeah, exactly. Really. So, I mean, that was a small part of my work. Thank God. I was, all, I was actually running new applications. So I didn't have to worry about <laughs> everybody <laughs> around me. Code. But that seems like even that, like, I don't know. Some of the stuff, like as, as we look back on this timeline, it's like, like, why did it take so long? You know, I mean, obviously. I, well, if you think about it and the way it builds up, you know, I mean, information, computers, communication. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And it makes sense how. It's kind of, yeah, it kind of falls together. As we're going to, as we're going to see the velocity starts to change. Oh, too. yeah. The things start going crazy. Holy smokes. Um, and, you know, I'm sure I'm missing tons of stuff. So we'll, we'll, we'll. We'll talk more about how we're going to – y'all listeners are going to help us with that problem. Right, so shortly after uh, Voros came up with dips and whatnot, Tango created uh, – Tom Tango created FIP. So we'll call that 2000. I can't find it. I could just go ask Tom uh, on Twitter. Hey. Um, but, yeah, so that was a pretty big point in time there. Okay, so, you know, Voros did his thing. Tango has done his thing. Uh, oh. Uh, over here at BP, it wasn't actually, may not have been at BP, I think it was actually someplace else where Keith Wilner started writing about replacement level, uh, which is the notion that it's not the average player, it's the, the fungible talent you can find floating around easily on the labor market, AAA, whatever, on your roster, 40-man roster. So this is like the, the 26th man. Who's, who could be the 26th man on YouTube, yeah, right? I, Roughly. We're still arguing today about what the yeah, definition exactly. of the player is. Thanks, Keith. Uh, <laughs> but this was a major 
major uh, contribution to baseball research. And th- this is, it's, you know, without that, we wouldn't have war, basically. Um, so, you know, you've got that point now where you, let's see, it's only a little bit further ahead. Yeah, it's like a full 10 years. And I feel like some of this timeline's wrong. So this is definitely going to want our listeners to help us out. So anyways, so Wolner's work in 2001, I found uh, 2002 apparently is when MGL created the user metric or actually published it. I think he had already been working on it for a couple of years at that point. Uh, also for a couple of years at that point, Nate Silver was working on Pakoda, which was released as part of the 2003 baseball prospectus annual. That was the first major public projection system that I, that, that I know of, not just saying that because it's ours, <laughs> um, but because I think it was, it's been obviously, you know, we have many things else to choose from. I'm not sure when Marcel came out, but you know, you know, there's been many others obviously, but that, that seems to be one. Nate Silver made his biggest splash or for, you know, prior to his biggest, splash, his, guess, his what, first you know. biggest splash. Yeah. So I think that was a pretty significant step forward. Not long after that, something else that had been going on for a couple of years, but not under that name. Uh, but Jay Jaffe published jaws, which was, is the, you know, predicting and rating hall of fame candidacy, which has become a ubiquitous tool. It's on uh, Sean Foreman's baseball reference website. And it's, it's like, I, how do you not look at it when you're thinking about a player? It's not the, it yeah. doesn't completely answer the questions, but it's one of the first things you go and look at it's, to understand a player's career. I mean, I think that is just a huge, it's fascinating. Uh, huge, I remember when I first came across jaws and I was like, you know, there's, there's the total numbers, but then there's also the, you know, seven year the peak. peak and it's like, Oh yeah. Like that, that matters. And, and then like when you, people talk about the hall of fame, it's like, well, were they the best in their era? And, and this kind of tries to quantify that. Yeah, I think so that good. that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think that's a pretty major thing. So we must've had some semblance of war at that point, you know, cause right. Although he may have built that off top of four, but that, at that, at that position, uh, let's see. Oh, wow. Yeah. God, I think now things get really crazy. 2006, the fielding Bible. John Dewan, DRS, defensive run save, still, you know, one of the most important defensive metrics still around. So that 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 was published in the book in 2006. Also that year, Tango Lichtman and Andy and Andy Dolphin, who's probably the least mentioned of the three authors of the book, playing the percentages in baseball were things like WOBA and so many things were <laughs> covered. It was it's the cookbook and recipe for a lot of the sabermetrics work people did, you know, and there's still a lot of those tools and techniques are used today, including here at BP. Uh, so, wow, that, that was pretty important book yeah. to, to, to say at least. Also in 2006, at the end of 2006 is when pitch FX first started going into production. Tell us about pitch FX, Harry. PitchFX is the camera tracking system installed by a company called Sport Vision to enhance your broadcast with the K-Zone. And it turned out it also tracked the motion of the pitch and where it crossed. So you had where it crossed home plate and pretty much everything from approximately the release of the pitch to the crossing of the plate. Uh, became partially installed in Major League Baseball stadiums in 2007, completely in 2008. This year it is replaced by the TrackMan radar system as part of StatCast. But since those October games, uh, I remember Booth Bonzer being one of the first track players I found in 2017, back when, when I first started playing pitch FX data. Uh, but yeah, that's what we have now 11 years of tracking, pitch tracking data in and, some fashion. And so the, the pitch of X stuff, um, did it change much over those 10 or 11 years? No. Or it, it was pretty much. We pretty much, you know, there was some, you know, by, by, there was some settling of certain numbers, but the basic fundamental thing was, you know, you know, there was some futzing about, but by 2008, it was a truly a kind of a steady thing. By 2010, the systems were all nice and comfortable and running smoothly and not too horrible in any ballpark, you know, so it's, 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 now that is probably the biggest change. Yeah. Because every, so many things that we're going to mention from this point on. Right are related to pitch effects. Yep. This was, this was my answer to Anthony's question. 
um, yeah. in terms of the big one. Uh, to me, and that data being public, that and data being public. Yep, I think that that um, because so much other stuff has been built on it, and um, it's, the, yeah. the whole idea of um, you know because he talks about you know, as a, I want to maybe want to be an amateur analyst or whatever, like with that, you could be, and yes. you, you had access to essentially more or less, you know, the same data as everybody else be, mm-hmm. because it was public. And yeah, uh, exactly. that, yeah, that's my life. Right. Yeah. That kind of democratized things and also, um, made things more accessible. So I, I would say that that's definitely, the biggest um at least in the last 10 years that that we can get our hands on yeah so now, how, there was a boom how, of research from 2007 me, through 2009 i'm gonna stop I'm, you i'm gonna stop you here sorry what can you tell us how that changed your life yeah i thought we had yeah i think definitely I, we talked about it a little bit on the first show but i think like in in this context because um I think that, you know, you have your, your work in and with pitch effects, I think is, um, it's not on the, the rundown that you sent me, but I think it's an important note and I'm not surprised that it's not on the rundown, but, uh, I do think it is an important note. So can you tell yeah. us kind of how pitch effects has entered into your life and how you have, um, worked with that? Yeah, well, basically there was a book. So if you go further back, something that we missed on our timeline, uh, is that Major League Baseball started publishing play-by-play and pitch-by-pitch just by stringers, saying this is where the pitch was and what the result was uh, sometime in the early 2000s. So like by 2005, there was game day data that you could actually get off the internet because it was just published in XML files. And is that so like RetroSheet format? No, no, it wasn't. No, this is totally separate from RetroSheet. RetroSheet okay. is like this is just, you know, a big gnarly text format of its own. Yes. But this was in fairly standardized XML. So it was nested, you know, games. It was mostly a bunch of files. You had to go and grab a bunch of files off the Internet. And you had to know, you know, do some things. And I was like, ah, oh, I'd like to do that. So I read an article in Slate in August of, of 2007 that talked about this. And sometime out and doing researching that, saying, you know, okay, this data is available. This is from the end. Get this book. I want to scrape it. Okay, the book doesn't actually have the scraper. doesn't know how to – the, the uh, Baseball Hacks is the name of the book. And the chapter on scraping data didn't have pitch FX stuff in it. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to write, you know, I'll, I'll write this. I'll scrape. I'll write a scraper for pitch FX data. Uh, well, I found out, found that at that point, Mike Fast had already done so or somebody else. I, I can't remember. But basically, the, the, this Perl script <clears throat> had been modified with a few blocks of code to go and get the pitch by pitch information, which had all the speed and the movement and all the stuff underneath it. So the barrier to entry to being this world of data analysis that you, you know, Kendall, you described a moment ago was, is, was just basically, can you handle crawling a tree of web pages that are XML files and, and, and processing the data, putting to a database and doing stuff with it. My twist on it was actually going and charting all the pitches and tagging what the identity of all the pitches was. So I started doing that late 2007, started blogging at a place called Cubs FX. And after that, you know, that was pretty much the start of everything. And we'll, we'll touch on it in the timeline. But it okay. basically at that point in time, the, it was public. The barrier to entry was, happened to be skills that I had. It was good timing. All right, you can carry on. Thank you for that interlude. <laughs> um, so during that time, there were people doing work that I loved. Uh, John Walsh was like the first person who did a bunch of stuff on strike zone analysis and showed us that the strike zone's different shape and size for left-handed and right-handed batters, that the strike zone changes based on the count that it gets really small when there's two strikes, but it's really big when it's three balls. And, you know, it just was critical in 
laying out uh, a lot of the work that was to come. And Dan Turkenkoff then worked on framing. He was probably the first or second person to publish work on framing. And I think Keith Wollner did something first, but there was another researcher whose name is escaping me. And then, then Turk, I think, was the sequence of people who published analysis on framing. And the first time I ever worked with Turk on anything was – I think in 2009, but he, we, he uh, basically was to take uh, the ball tracking stuff and use it for, for pitch blocking, you know, figure out when the, when and where exactly the ball hit the dirt and create like a, you know, a probabilistic model of pitch blocking. We're still using that same basic technique that Turk and I hacked out eight years ago. Um, and that he took and ran with, and then we've kind of taken and twisted our own way here since then. So a lot of those things were happening then. And Josh Kalk was doing pitch classification algorithms, which, uh, you know, I've eschewed and used my own manual human process. Uh, but he was also doing stuff. 2009 is like his first uh, injury detection, you know, paper came out. And after two papers on injury detection of pitch FX, he, he was gone. He was hired by Tampa and hasn't been seen since. Uh, <laughs> so he left his job at Hardball Times as a result. And he recommended me to Dave Studeman. And I'd be, that's when I started writing at Hardball Times. So that was a big change for me right there, too. So, you know, that was the result. A ton of stuff happening with the pitch data. We got our hands on a limited amount of hit FX data in 2009. None of us really could do much with it publicly because it wasn't a large set of data. But a lot of the stuff you see today with StatCast about how hard the ball has to be hit and at what angle to be a home run and what are the ones that dunk in behind the infield. We found all that stuff in 2009 and, and drew our graphs and stuff. And it was just, you know, it was great. It's cool, but it never got fully public. It, it just never, you know, the teams wouldn't let them do it. But it had a big influence on, on what the teams were doing. Just didn't get to influence what we were doing on the outside. Uh, somewhere in that time or before in the several years before that, I, I, I don't want to skip everything that's non-pitch FX, but Tom Tango, again, I mean, Tango, you know, rock star of, of our industry, uh, positional adjustments and war. I, he's, I think, the first person to actually publish those things. If someone can find the initial references or correct me if there's earlier authors, please, I would love to clear that up as best as possible. But Tom's work is, you know, <laughs> as always, it seems with these concepts on 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 evaluation of that level, it, you know, Tom figured out a lot of it, the math and, and the stuff for it uh, a long time ago. And we still rely in many ways on it today, although we do things differently with, you know, positional adjustments and whatnot. Now, um, it all started kind of as incremental improvements from things that, as far as I know, Tom published. Another really big advancement, as far as I'm concerned, Again, I don't want to get totally trapped into the pitch tracking stuff, but Victor Wang published work on draft pick and prospect valuation, uh, how much they're worth, surplus value. All these start, all these, all these things like Matt Schwartz's work, and all these things started to spin out. Then at that time, because you had war, you can now compare players' value, cross positions, and time, and suddenly you can make a lot more sense of the economics of baseball. So. You know, from people in the 1960s figuring out that there's run values to the linear weights coming out in the 80s or whatever, to positional adjustments in the aughts, to this is what a free agent contract is worth in this decade. Yeah, that's all a string of events. Did um, did Victor Wank, um did he do stuff with like, is that kind of where the, um, whatever the dollars per war type came from or has that been born out of a metric for it? Okay. Um, we're probably going to talk about this a lot in a week or yes. two. And that's the only teaser I'm going to give you on that oh, one. Harry. Okay. So, all right. So back to, uh, the big change. So now we had this pitch data for a couple, three years and, you know, the, the framing work started moving forward again. You know, I think probably because Turk got a job, it 
Tampa at that time. Uh, but Max Marchi started writing in English. I, when I first was reading Max's work, it was in Italian. I don't speak Italian. Makes it hard to read. Uh, so I was pretty thrilled when he when he, he confessed to knowing English and started working in my, my mother tongue because I'm too dumb to really follow things in Italian. So he uh, just would write about pitching and pitch effects, but he then he, he's a statistician, so he started doing some using cool advanced modeling techniques and you know, principal component analysis and stuff like that, introduced a lot of stuff into the public realm of baseball research that, you know, I, I hadn't seen. And he was doing that at like Hardball Times and at, at, at Baseball Prospectus. Um, and he, he, you know, Mike Fass was doing this stuff too. He was at BP also. Uh, and I came to BP after he left for Houston. Uh, so I kept following these guys and with taking their taking their jobs after they left them. That's right. They get hired at teams and you take their job. I've been saying for years I'm the replacement level baseball analyst. <laughs> You're uh, the 26th man. Yeah, that's me. Uh, so so Max had everything. He was covering everything about catching. Like, uh, framing, blocking, uh, game calling. You know, So he was like the first person to look for that residual value in, in game calling. We haven't gotten too terribly far on that since then. But we'll talk about that some more. Uh, I think around 2010 is when Baseball Reference published War, started like having War on all their pages. Not, uh, I don't even know when BP started having War. I forget. Or when Fangraphs had War, uh, their own version of War put up. But basically 2010, you know, that's when War, I think, stuck and became kind of part u- of the ubiquitous. stats canon. Yeah. I think that's a significant point. Yeah. That, you know, again, it's the publishing and all the stuff I've kind of talked back about Max's stuff and, and Turk's stuff on framing and blocking. This just publishes articles with some example tables. Okay. So, which this was not enough for me. So in 2013, shortly before Max went and disappeared into leaving, uh, working for Cleveland, and it's just before my time, I think I might have just been coming on to BP around this time, uh, he started working on non-pitch fx frame framing so 1988 forward we have pitch by pitch data max showed that you could use that to model pitch framing pretty well that was a pretty significant thing using old data you know so meanwhile in 2013 uh probably actually 2012 more fairly 2014 maybe more clearly i don't know it's it's look at there's we'll, we'll include the link to it articles that has some nice charts but shifting started to happen more like we the William shift from 70 years before has started to return. So teams were shifting their infields, pulling the William shift more often. <clears throat> so that was a pretty significant uh, thing. And that's because of hit FX teams could see what you had much better spray charts. It was super easy to have spray charts. You had spray charts with velocity clearly demarcated. So, you, you knew not, not only where, which direction they were going, but how hard it was so where you had to be. So teams started to recognize the benefits of changing their positioning some more. And that was that was basically because they had a few years of hit FX data at their disposal. Uh, Question for you, Harry. Hmm? Question for you. Yes. Uh, so with hit effects, that kind of came into the... Uh, um, came into ad for analysts in 2009 right we got we got they published they let a bunch of us have a month of data okay but then but teams were getting it all along is that right i think if they either they got it directly automatically or they had to choose to pay for it i don't remember the exact arrangement but a guy named peter jensen worked with with uh who was another important guy in that early pitch fx days for sure peter uh took the the initiative and work with sport vision on actually breaking down their video to prove that you could use the pitch tracking video to capture the hit. So, yeah, I don't, so it wasn't part of like the core product. It was like an extra product. So I think that may have been separate from bam owning like, you know, major league baseball advanced media, which is called bam most of the time for short. Uh, they distributed the pitch FX data. So they, because to the teams and also let it freely go out to all of us, but they didn't have the ownership of hit FX that stayed inside. 
Got it. Uh, they had it the minor leagues too. So at this, at, by that point, I was starting to work for teams, uh, and I was starting to see that data you know, behind behind the scenes in minor league baseball and whatnot. So by you know by that time, by 2010 and and whatnot, you know, 2012, I think probably is probably where I am in this timeline. Is teams that had a few years of data. Teams had a couple and some you know, the, the, some teams were having minor league parks with these the, these systems installed. So the game was changing. The data coming into the game was changing. Uh, so let's see. So 2014 is kind of when uh, I, I was able to. When, I think that's probably when I really got to BP. Has it been just that short? Seems longer. I don't know why. Um, but that's when we really. Yeah, it's probably a year into it. So we really published a lot of catching data. We started like so. We see got you know Dan Brooks and I had done some work. Um, and eventually judge came on board and he and he helped us advance some things even further so but that's really when we got you know decided to take catching data and all this framing and blocking and put it in in into the soup and eventually we put it into our fielding to our fraa our our fielding runs metric which goes into warp our wins metric so that that was you know that's the start of when we got the bit the bull and went on the like the path to where we are right uh, so that's when i jumped into and i was able to see kind of behind the scenes of of those, yeah, those metrics point, coming like, in. let's get these things out of articles and get them into, into published data yeah which is kind of a fundamental change in, in you know not fundamental change but now a fundamental thing what we try to do at bp right so the next year after that i think is a pretty if I may say, to, you know, to serve run average, you know, um, it, it was, I think, the most advanced way of, of trying to apply Voros's dips theories uh, to date that we know of in the public domain. Feel, uh, I And this is also kind of where we were like, you know, we're, we're really going to be using these advanced statistical modeling things that that are more difficult to learn and communicate, but we're, we're going to take the challenge and go for it. Um, so th- I think that was like the catching stuff. We've done that. Now we're going to go on to pitching and really, you know, change. We, we, we went away from FRA, our old metric, and went to DRA. And so that, that was a pretty substantial change for us and I think significant in the field. So that's that one's a pretty big one now 2015 is also when Statcast started to go into for big league teams and with that they like i remember like like it was maybe in the playoffs in 2015 for the first time where they were like really getting that onto broadcasts and things like that um it might have been during the season. I don't remember that, but I'm not sure. uh, I don't remember to be honest. I do. I do remember like in the playoffs, they would have like, it was 2015 was the, uh, um, am I remembering it right? The Royal, the Royals. I don't remember, but like, like the, um, the Hosmer scoring and they did like a whole, Oh yeah. Like, how fast they were. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. I think so. But yeah, that was like the first, yeah. Much like with, you know, pitch FX, it first, it first snuck out like in playoff usage. That's for broadcast. It's for entertainment. But yeah, since then they, you know, there's, there we're, there we're starting to see some of these things like the outfield range metrics and, and whatnot are basically fundamentally the same things that, uh, that Fullerton was working on in, in 1910. But now we have the the technology to really do it, <laughs> so that, I think that's pretty cool. And so that's been allowing BAM to produce things, and we're seeing the fruits of their labors, like the base running and catcher throwing and things like that. And the big ones, of course, exit velocity, launch angle. I, I mean, I don't attribute those to Statcast; those go back to Hit FX. But again, them being available uh, is is a very very significant change. And so those those numbers being never made public from Hit FX suddenly became available via StatCast without, you know, sometimes without all the details, all the different angles and whatnot. But that that really also, you know, put a lot more people into the baseball analysis space, I think. Um, not in the way that it was when we were like, get your hands on the data and make your own metrics, but at least they're starting to put out some useful numbers that kind of can spice up your baseball viewing. Yeah, and, they're yeah. at least interesting, you know, like... Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, whether there's, there's, they're, yeah, you know, d- defining 
um, value or, you know, to be used, um, like from a front office point of view, like maybe, maybe not, but, um, definitely interesting to see like, Oh, you know, Giancarlo Stanton hits bombs and that's, Fun to fun to watch. And how and how, how yeah. hard throw. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Estimation of pop time, which isn't exactly pop time. He uses a kind of a fixed distance for various technical reasons, which we'll get into in a future episode. Um, so yeah, they're doing. They're, they're sort of. Pop, there's so much they can. It's just crazy how much can be done. So you know how fast guys are, their top speed, and it's just, it's a massive information. And behind the scenes, you know, it's more like we talked about the shifting in 1946, and then it started going ticking up in 2012. Well, 2015, when you started having stat casts in the team's hands, you have positioning of your fielders. It gave you even more information about what you're doing defensively. Now we see even more non quote unquote non traditional shifting. <laughs> As a result of Statcast, four man and in those fields. in those years, it's changed how players players have started to see the benefits of lifting the ball, and have you know when they can opted to change their approach to lift the ball. You know, and you know we've also been able to track the changes in the strike zone and, and the umpires and all these things in these times. But you know, I think like with with pitch FX, there was this huge explosion of information and knowledge. Uh, it's not as fast with StatCast, but it's also probably broader. It's not just pitching and stretching into catching. It's everything in baseball. Do you think it's not as fast? Uh, it seems like... Um, because well, the data is yeah, mainly because the data is not public. Yeah, I know BAM um, is, is only kind of releasing like leaderboards or um, things like that. So it, if... Uh, yeah, I mean, you can download more than that, I think. But it's not, but it's not like it was with pitch effects where we had closer to the raw product. Like the data I get from directly from the vendors for my clients is the same as the data I get from the public feeds from major league baseball. There's really not, you know, it's not like there's something else magical, you know, Statcast. You mean? No, no, no. I'm just talking about this track man without oh, yeah, track yeah, man yeah. is just part of stack has not none of the fielder stuff, just basically part of the batted ball information. All those yeah. things, it's just it just it's it's not, you know it, it's it's the fielders and all that information that makes it that that's that's where it's so big and crazy and heavy. Um so I, I, I wish they would release more batted ball data. I understand there's the fielder data is not out there, but I really wish they would release the raw batted ball data. Yeah. Because we were able to do things and fix it and adapt, you know, our techniques to be better handled with the oddities in it when we have the data with pitch effects. <clears throat> but we don't have that opportunity with, with this stuff. So it, it's, it's, there's more information like on the tracking that they have that, you know, is valuable it's huge it's mass it's not this it's a different scale of data release so yeah you know i i just love for them to figure that out yeah obviously not and i bet that they would too right obviously not a simple (laughs) problem to solve Um, no it's it's not and there's so many things involved in it you know there were definitely major league teams that weren't super excited about pitch fx being public so you know that's the way these things go yeah well, and I'm sure that um, having more front offices um, being way more conversant in uh, the technology space. They don't want, they don't need the pro- outsiders to yeah, do it, right? Probably there's, you know, more hesitation. And that makes sense. Um, right. I mean, yeah, no, it does make sense. So, um, but it's still, you know, there's still a lot of things out here that we can do that we haven't finished <laughs> so, so that's why i don't get too crazy about it uh right. you know just a short list here like stuff we've done recently that i don't think is really hit where it needs to be yet but we've kind of started out with and 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 it's in its rougher form that i don't think is landmark research yet but is stuff that we hope to turn into that so game catcher game calling you know, we published some stuff on that i think three years ago i think 2015 2016 maybe um based on what you know 
basically I took judge's work and said, here, I'm going to take your stuff and write. See you later. Uh, <laughs> very helpful. And, uh, so pitch command, which is basically just the flip side of framing right now, but there's a whole much more stuff that we have that we're thinking about and, and haven't quite gotten to publishing or really rounding out to anything useful. Uh, but then we have our things with pitching tunnels, which were, yep. we think has a lot of potential because now we're not just talking about a pitch, but a sequence of pitches. And I think that is a, I think that has the potential to perhaps thought itself being, okay, yeah, you could just publish all this data. Great. You know, we're gonna make the data better and make it easier to use. And also, also just better, like use it, use the batter's perspective, not the catcher's. Uh, and I think that will be a place, a fertile place. At least that's the goal. Like that's what we want to do. We want to create data sets that can become these fertile places because, you know, for reasons stat cast data isn't. So we don't want to lose that culture that we built 10 years ago. Right. So like, keeping that alive is, you know, okay, we'll produce the data. So we're trying to like create those data sets from this existing data that we have, but trying to twist it to places. So, we think with command and deception and then catcher, you know, abilities, we're, we're, we're going to move forward quite a bit. So and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. So, um, that's stuff kind of, I know kind of in-house stuff, right? Like at, at baseball prospectus, um, yeah, are there, do you know of any other spots or, um, any other kind of folks in the industry that are, working on things obviously you know maybe we you can't it's me man nobody tells me anything yeah um, they just publish yeah i don't know i i, I just take care of our our farm <laughs> i don't look over the other fence too much um then you know I, I i'm sure there are people i mean beyond the box where has guys and hardball times there are tons of people cranking out new stuff all the time yeah uh fan graphs People come out of the community research section there even. It, it's it's out there. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's not – I mean, I think that's important. Beyond the box score, hardball times, baseball perspectives, fan graphs, those are all people still doing work. Uh, yeah. So – yeah, it's cool to, to see that, that, you know, we as a, a community are um, still pushing the envelope, you know, like you say, 100 years later. And uh, I think the thing that – is fascinating to me is um we haven't figured it out yet and we, no, ha- we never we will. haven't figured it out even close yeah, and uh and really the game hasn't changed that much you know like you know there have been some changes but it, it's still baseball and mm-hmm. uh I, I think that's the crazy thing to me to think that you know we can have generations and generations of people working on this really smart people working on this thinking on this and uh we're still like yeah baseball you know that's baseball and uh i think that's really cool it's a beautiful game so like harry said there's going to be there's some holes in the timeline that that we put together and we are going to put up this timeline that we have on the podcast page at baseball prospectus and um what we are going to ask of you is if there are any um, things that you know of or you feel like should go on to the timeline, um, just leave a comment and um, obviously any as much reference uh, material that you could send along is super helpful um, links and things like that. But uh, we'll kind of lean on you to help us round this out and um, try and give a really good timeline and uh, basis for this thing that we all uh, pay attention to and care about and think is important. Um, so I think that this will help us uh, to learn more and find out more and, and also help us learn too. So um, if you can think of anything that we didn't mention, definitely leave a comment and let us know. We appreciate it. That is going to do it for us this week. Um, so again, uh, email us if you have a question and it might spur on an episode for us to talk about, uh, stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectus.com. Reach out on Twitter at stolen underscore signs and, um, follow or not follow us. 
Oh, well, you could follow us on Twitter too. That'd be fine. Reach uh, out and follow. Yeah, yeah reach out, follow, uh, retweet, do whatever you want. Um, it's your Twitter. But uh, we're on iTunes and um, rate, review us. That would be awesome. Uh, so I think that's going to do it for us tonight, Harry. Um, we'll talk to you next time thank you for um, all of your historical research and things like that and uh, oh it was it was half-assed you know it so one of our listeners fix it thank you for your half-assed research I mean I'm glad to contribute my effort to the but yeah we're gonna actually this is a preview of a guest to talk about archiving all this great research so help us Anything you submit to our, our timeline is actually going to end up someplace, not just on our timeline. Ooh, another tease. Mm-hmm. Teasy more tonight, teasing. Harry. All right. Uh, With that, no more, no more teasing. Goodbye, baseball! Are you a fundraiser seeking to enhance your fundraising capabilities? Join the Sanford Institute of Philanthropy at John F. Kennedy University on September 26th in Pleasant Hill. At this seminar, you will learn the skills and tactics that will help you boost your year-end fundraising goals. Visit jfku.edu slash September 26th and RSVP today. That's jfku.edu slash September 26th.